Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to SFP Now. Welcome to another exciting episode of SFP Now. Um, joining us uh, this week um, is uh, author Adam Whitnatch, who, among other things, is, um, has written the novelisation of the War of the Worlds Goliath film, which came out a couple of years ago. Um, Adam, welcome to the show. It's great having you on. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, first of all, um, I think um, the, the, the obvious question to ask right after, right, right from the get-go is, is how, how did you go about get, getting into uh, writing? You, you write a lot of science fiction and fantasy. Um, has it always been a thing of yours to write? Well, I did, um, I did a little bit of writing in uh, high school, uh, just kind of to pass the time. Um, I actually started out writing horror. And uh, start. I, I wrote one uh, vampire novel that um, I actually just recently published. It was my trunk novel for several years, and I finally brought it out and polished it up. And that uh, that's Vengeance for My Valentine. That came out um, earlier this past spring. Uh, and that came about from uh, I was in a role-playing group playing Vampire the Masquerade at my high school, and the guy running the group really wasn't... Uh, moving forward with getting a game going and I got bored and started writing stories with my character. And that eventually just developed into its own original story independent of the, of the game. And, uh, after that, it just kind of snowballed. I, I kept, uh, I kept coming up with new stories and, uh, did a few, did a few short stories for magazines and about, I'd say around, uh, Probably 2010, 2011, I started switching over to more of the science fiction area. Yeah, I mean, it's like, um, is War, War of the Worlds, can I feel first um, science fiction attempt? Basically? Uh, no, uh, no. Uh, the first science fiction novel that I wrote um, was my book Birthright, uh, but it was actually the second novel that I published. The Or no, no, I'm getting out of sequence. Uh, War of the Worlds Goliath was the first science fiction book I published. Birthright came shortly after. Uh, but the first book I published was uh, The Weller, which is my post-apocalyptic uh, science fiction short story or uh, novel. And it, it came from a short story that um, Skullvine's Press had uh, picked up as a as a uh, digital short story. They were, they were putting out a line of just uh, Kindle shorts. And originally, the publisher wanted to do a series of these Weller stories, and the first one sold so well that he said, you know what, forget it. Forget the whole short story thing. I want a novel. So I wound up having to shift gears, and, uh, and I, was, uh, I was attending college at the time, so I had to juggle uh, trying to earn my degree and writing, uh, turn, trying to turn the Weller short story into a full-length novel at the same time. Um, so, yeah, War of the Worlds Goliath was the, uh, was the second novel that I that I published. Mm-hmm. Well, it um, says here on your website the the the, uh, the winner, a night of the uh, cicada. Um, is that right? Uh, a night of cicada. Yeah, cicada. Sorry, um, said that he actually won the 2016 Burlington Bloodbath Short Story Award. <laughs> that uh, that was a lot of fun, and uh, we're actually having the second uh, bloodbath contest tomorrow, uh, and I'm, I get to defend my title. What we did for that, uh, one of the local bookstores invited uh, five local writers to sit down and write a short story. And they gave us uh, they gave us three hours, and they gave us a list of 11 things that we had to incorporate into the story. The story had to be called Night of the Cicada, and uh, 
one of the rules was that we had to kill one of our competitors in a story. Ah, and uh, I actually had the distinction of being the only writer not killed in another writer's story, although I was turned into a talking dog in one of the other stories. Well, that, that's a fate worse than death, isn't it, really, being turned into a talking dog? I mean, Right. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I was kind of on the spot and only had three hours to do this short story, and I'm a notoriously slow writer. Very slow. And I had a quick brainstorm that I could I could skip a lot of time and character development if I went into this story with an already developed character. So I just had Matt Freeborn from The Weller roll into town and and went from there. Cool. And and I didn't think in a million years I would win, especially since my ending was terrible. I uh, I wrote the ending with like literally two minutes to go. The the judge is like, all right, you got there's a two minute mark, and I'm just tapping furiously out and like trying to wrap this up in a in a couple sentences and. I wound up uh, editing and expanding the story to actually make it good, uh, and I went ahead and uh, published it. And uh, the last five pages, I think, of that story came from the last three sentences of the original mm-hmm. uh, contest story. So, uh, generally, as a as a writer growing up, were you, were you always interested in science fiction and horror? Um, I remember being drawn to fan drawn to fantasy. When I was really young, I think I think the moment science fiction really spoke to me was I was 10 years old and uh, on Halloween, uh, I couldn't go out that Halloween because there was uh, this freak ice storm or snow. It was either ice storm or snowstorm. I can't remember. But I remember Halloween was canceled that year because of the, the weather. And my father brought out uh, and, the, and the power was out. My father had a battery operated tape player. And he brought out um, a recording of the 1938 uh, Orson Welles broadcast of War of the Worlds. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much the moment when I became a sci-fi nerd. So War, War of the Worlds has actually been been a big part of, of my fandom for a long time. So when, when the War of the Worlds Goliath project fell on my lap, that, that, was, a, that was an absolute dream come true. Uh, how, how did that come about for you? Because, so like, um, you know, um, I, I've been, I, I was following the uh, the War of the Worlds Goliath uh, since its pretty much inception in 2008. Um, so I was forever pestering Joe Pearson <laughs> for updates <laughs> on it for, for about, so like, three or four years. You know, about once every six months, I'd probably send him an email saying, how's this film coming? How's it, when's it going to come out? <laughs> any more information? <laughs> Uh, well, you know, like you, I was following it for a long time. Um, I was, I'd been, uh, I'd had a subscription to Heavy Metal Magazine at the time, and that's where I first heard about it because they were they were advertising it <clears throat> heavily in the magazine, and they also had um, a series of comics, that, and they did a whole issue devoted to the the movie too. But then uh, it just seemed to fall off the radar, and I totally forgot about it. And uh, my wife and I were both big fans of Highlander. And uh, as you probably know, there's quite a few Highlander actors vo- doing voices in the movie. You got Adrian Paul, Peter Wingfield, uh, Jim Burns, and Elizabeth Grayson. Mm-hmm. And my wife was uh, watching the. Um, she was from start to finish. She was watching the Highlander TV series, and along the way, she absolutely fell in love with Peter Wingfield, and wound up joining his fan club on Facebook. And through there. Uh, she learned about War of the Worlds Goliath, and she became uh, friends with Joe Pearson and uh, with the producer, Leon Tan. And she started talking about it one day, and I kind of looked up at her, and I was like, really? That thing is still happening? I, I thought that I thought that movie was dead in the water. You know, Heavy Metal hasn't posted about it in forever. And she's like, oh, no, it's, it's happening. And she uh, gave me some of the details about it, and uh, I got to see a trailer for it finally, and I was just absolutely astounded by it. And I went ahead and just steeled myself and emailed uh, Joe Pearson. And I said, hey, have, uh, have you guys considered doing a novelization of this movie? And uh, in fact, they had. And uh, they had another writer they were considering, who I'm actually good friends with now. Uh, but I, I sent them The Weller, and Joe absolutely loved it. And he said, yeah, this is it. This is the guy I want to write this. And and so that's that's how Goliath happened for me. Cool. 
Because he's, he's a project, as, as you say, he, he was very long in, in gestation before before it even hit the screen, because it didn't, didn't actually come out until around about 2014, I don't think. It, it actually um, released on DVD and Blu-ray in, in the States on April 1st, 2014, April Fool's Day. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so you, you, have this, you have this movie that's that's got such a long and troubled development history and people are starting to wonder whether it's ever coming out. And then you announce that it's out on April Fool's Day. It makes some people a little suspicious. So I had to assure people and I hold up copies of the DVD and go, no, no, it's real. It's right here. I got it. Because you know? last time we covered it was obviously um, I reviewed it last year because living in the UK, it never got, I don't think it ever got a UK release. Um to say, no, or, or if it did, no. I missed it. Um, no, unfortunately, I don't think it ever did get a UK release. Uh, there was, it did have, it did have a DVD release in Germany and uh, a limited theatrical showing in Australia, but I don't believe there was ever, ever a UK release, unfortunately. Because I ended up, um, I ended up like, uh, like most people, just sort of like uh, ordering, ordering a copy of it on DVD. Um, because I got a multi-regional DVD player, so I knew that would have worked, whereas I wasn't too sure about the Blu-ray situation. Um, yeah. But, you know, and but now seemingly it's on YouTube, <laughs> like everything, unfortunately. Um, but, yeah, my, uh, my, my last um, contact with it before I, I got hold of it last year and did a review for it and, and whatnot was um, I was lucky enough to speak to uh, Leon Tam and uh, David Bromovich, um, back in 2013, um, so like a year before it actually came out, and um, you know that 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 was really cool because I'm a huge Highlander fan myself. Um, loved the movies. Uh, didn't like the last two movies. They kind of uh, they kind of jumped the shark. Um, I didn't like the sauce at all. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm not too fond of that that last Highlander film. It was just sort of like, um, I don't know, I, I don't know what was wrong with it. It was just everything. <laughs> everything. Uh, well, from, from what I understand, and I may be I may be wrong, this all may be rumor, but apparently they didn't, uh, apparently they didn't really stick to David's script. Um, they changed the ending. Um, I don't know whether just the studio got too involved in it. I don't know. But yeah, there was there was a lot about that movie that didn't didn't work for me. So, um, War of the Worlds Goliath, the film, you know, so like from having watched it uh, recently, there's there's a lot of a, there's a lot of room for character development and uh, and 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 backstory for these different uh, characters. Uh, how how much of an opportunity was there for you to actually uh, fill in some of those blanks? Uh, quite a bit. And looking back on it, I probably could have done a little bit more. And uh... Joe and I have been talking about the possibility of maybe writing a sequel together, so there, so I may be able to make up for some of those missed opportunities. But uh, uh, in the novel, we get to see more of uh, uh, Abraham Douglas, Bo Billingsley's character. We get to see uh, more about his family, his home life. Uh, we get a little bit more history um, about Patrick and Sean the O'Brien brothers, uh, who are played by Adrian Paul and Mark Shepard. We get more of their history. We get to find out uh, why they're so resentful of the English, what happened to them after uh, after the original War of the Worlds. Uh, the character Wilson, played by Adam Baldwin, who, uh, unfortunately, he doesn't get near enough screen time in that movie, mm-hmm. sadly enough. He's only in it for maybe five minutes, and he's such a, a fun, eccentric character. Uh, I actually went in and showed what happened to him and his wife, uh, why exactly why he snapped, why he's such a crazy individual. Uh, and that was, and that was really fun to do. Um, there, there, I dive a little bit more into uh, Jennifer Carter, who's played by Elizabeth Grayson. I, I dive into her uh, trouble past with her family a little bit. Unfortunately, I didn't get, I didn't get too far into Shaw's history. I probably, I probably should have, um, but I was getting close to the deadline and I had to kind of wrap things up and, wound up putting in quite a bit of new content as it was. One of the things that Joe specifically requested I do was restore the original opening because the, the screenplay actually calls for a prologue where uh, General Kushnerov in the original War of the Worlds, when he's still a colonel 
in the Russian army uh, faces down uh, the tripods with an army of Cossacks on horseback. And unfortunately, there wasn't enough money in the budget to animate 1,000 men on horses. Damn. So so they wound up cutting that. And uh, so Joe asked me to put that back in. And uh, so that's how the, the book opens. And then there were, uh, there were a few other... They, they did have... Uh, there was an amazing artist named Puppeteer Lee who I've worked with on other projects. He did... The, uh, the heavy metal comic of the original opening, and so I had that to, I had that imagery to draw on. Uh, but they also had other comic stories that Joe asked me to incorporate. So um, there's there's the big train sequence that came from a heavy metal comic. Uh, my favorite part of the book there's a character named Lieutenant Chen who is a uh, she's she runs a she, she's in command of a Spartan tripod mm-hmm. unit, and they have the they, have, they get put, sent on a very special mission toward the end of the book, and that came from a heavy metal comic. And she is by far my favorite character from uh, from the entire book. And I, I hope I can find a way to do more with her in the future if I get the chance to do another book. Yeah, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to ask you whether there's anywhere I can get hold of these heavy metal comics because we, we you know we never got that either. You know, so like it was just so like. Um, Film was never released in the UK. I was really excited for it. And when I seen it, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Um, but, you know, so like, um, I remember being excited about it from 2008 right through to, you know, right through to its release. And and I kept going back and forth to the website over over a period of time. Um, but I never have been able to get hold of the any of the heavy metal comics or, or stuff like that. So I'm just wondering if... I'll, uh, I'll have to... I'll have to get a hold of Joe and see if he can hook you up with those. That, that, that'd be something cool to sort of like try and get hold of and add to my connection. Sort of thing. So I, I read a lot of comics because I'm, I'm dyslexic, so reading is... Uh, oh, yeah. You know, for novels, it would probably take about, about, about a month, maybe two, you know, yeah. depending on the, uh, the length sort of thing. Um, yeah. Stupidly enough, I don't. It doesn't ring. It doesn't correlate with writing. I find writing a little bit easier than reading. You know, which is kind of funny. But you know, that's only since I've had a computer. You know, because obviously a computer, um, you got spell check on, and uh, you you got you know with Google, you got the use of Grammarly <laughs> stuff like yeah. that. So there's there's some cheats that I can use. So there's there's a plan. There's a plan. You know, you're hoping to do a sequel to it. Um, what what kind of thing things from from the uh, from the first story that perhaps I left open do you think could be song I get exploited in the sequel? Based on my previous discussions with Joe, uh, I think that we would probably wind up exploring more of the conflict between the O'Brien brothers uh, with uh, Sean's crusade against the English uh, because the the war is the war is still going on, obviously. And uh, the battle is won in America, but of course there's still a lot going on overseas. And I touch on I touch on what's happening in England in the novel, and uh, England is still very much in trouble. So I would say there's a pretty good chance that the the, the Goliath crew and the rest of Ares may be uh, heading to England mm-hmm. in the second in the second book. You know, you know it's it's um, it'd be great to see as an animated film that as well. <laughs> oh, I, I know. I, I would I would love to see. Uh, to see them do another film. What I would really love, uh, I would love for them to be able to release the the full unrated cut because um, the final cut was actually uh, just PG-13. And that was another thing I had to add back into the book. I had to add the, the love scene back in because they cut that out of the release. And that was, that, was, that was kind of a funny process. I had never written a sex scene before. And uh, I wrote... I wrote my first treatment of it and I sent it to uh, a friend of mine who writes erotica. And I said, how, how does this work? And she was like, Oh no, no, this is awful. And she basically did the internet equivalent of sending me in my room to think about what I'd done. (laughs) And, And so I contacted Joe and I said, I'm really struggling with this scene. Is there any way I can actually see the love scene? And he started teasing me a little bit. He says, now, Adam, come on, be honest. You just want to see cartoon boobies, don't you? And I said, well, <laughs> maybe, maybe. But it really would help if I could actually see 
just just working from the screenplay wasn't working for me. He says, well, I can't I can't let the full cut of the movie out, and I don't have that scene by itself. He says, but I can do the next best thing. I can send you the storyboards, and I was like, that that'll work. That I'll I'll take it, and it, it did help immensely. And it's kind of sad that they cut that scene out because in the storyboards there were actually some pretty funny uh, visual gags going on, uh, cutting between the ap- the action between uh, Wells and Carter and um, and Douglas and O'Brien outside the Goliath, you know, doing repairs. There were a lot of visual gags with with quick cuts going back and forth, and. Uh, they actually made the storyboards available on the Blu-ray release and the special features, and they they it's just the storyboards, but they included the voice acting from uh, Peter and Elizabeth, and it's without without the actual scene going on, it's it's kind of hilarious to hear them doing all the dialogue and making the sounds and and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if, if if anyone out there's got the Blu-ray or wants to get the Blu-ray, that's that's one of the reasons to get it is is the uh, the lovers mm-hmm. tell, material on the, on the special features. I'd tell you what, as someone that's actually studied theatre and, um, and, you know, I, I did performing arts and theatre arts um, way, way back, about 20-odd years ago, um, as someone who's done that, um, I can I can only imagine the, um, you know, how, how awkward it must have been, you know, trying to record all that dying organ, all those noises in, in the recording <laughs> booths. <laughs> yeah, I... <laughs> Oh, I, I I can't imagine. <laughs> oh boy, um, but yeah one one of my uh, one of my favorite things uh, about about the whole War of the Worlds Goliath thing was you know it was kind of like uh, just prior to World War One, and I just loved the you know how meta it was with you know with the use of various historical figures such as Teddy Roosevelt and and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, did you get to do much more writing for Teddy Roosevelt in the um, in in the novel than than, than we've seen on, on 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 in the film? Um, a little bit, probably not as much as I uh, as I would like to. One one historical character that I did expand upon, though, uh, it's and it's only briefly mentioned in in the movie, um, is uh, Franz Ferdinand and his assassination in Sarajevo. I did so much research on him, and there's there's several conflicting accounts of his death. I had to basically just assemble the best narrative I could from the most the most common elements, and and also give myself a little bit of freedom because this is alternative history after all. But I learned more about World War One researching this novel than I ever did in school. There's there's just so much going going on, and uh, and my my father when I was growing up he was a school administrator. Uh, but before I was born, he was actually a history teacher. So I wound up uh, drawing on some of his knowledge as well. Uh, I didn't really expand any more on on Tesla or Roosevelt or even or even the Red Baron. Most of my expansion was, you know, I was concentrated on uh, on on Franz Ferdinand and, and, and his assassination. And I and I and I, uh, and I and I of course incorporated, you know, his feelings about the Martians into that. And you know. Uh, you know how he, you know, right before he was assassinated, he was considering recalling troops from Ares and you know Roosevelt's, you know, silly little effort. Now he, he thinks the Martians are conquered because of the germ and mm-hmm. and and yada yada yada. Um, if I do get the chance to write a sequel, then uh, then yeah, absolutely. I think I'll probably do a bit more with with Roosevelt and and uh, Tesla. Yeah, I mean Nick and I Tesla. Um, that that's, that is one 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 really interesting character. Um, you know that that song I could doesn't get the credit he deserves really, um, in, in terms of um, you know having having um, come up with the alternating current and all that stuff. The song I um, you know Edison seems you know seems to have got a majority of the credit for sort of having having uh, been the inventor of pretty much everything electrical. <laughs> that is so one I thing I would like to do with a sequel. I would actually like to uh, bring Edison in. And maybe do do a fictionalized version of his rivalry with with Tesla. I mean, maybe Edison's developing, you know, reverse engineer Martian tech of his own to rival Tesla's. I mean, that could be a fun thing to, to play with. Yeah, that that would be fun. I mean, another fun thing to play with, but this this would probably take place later in in in, in the First World War. Would be um, are you familiar with the Angels of Mons? No. 
Oh, it's basically a story from the um, from 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 the First World War in in Mons, France. Um, it was sort of like a, a group of English troops still caught behind uh, behind enemy lines, sort of thing. And um, the the story is that they 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 sort of like seen these angels, which um, su- supposedly protected them from from certain death or something like that. Ah! It's um. It's it's an interesting story. It's a bit of a you know, there's a lot of a dubious, um, you know, information out there about you know whether whether it's true or not, or whether it actually happened or what what actually happened. But it's sort of like it's one of those interesting sort of like uh, World, World War One stories. Oh, I'll have to look that up. That does sound interesting. It's, um, there's all sorts of fun stuff from from that period in history that you could probably pull from and put put into put into oh, ab- fictional. Absolutely, yes. It's, um, I mean, I I, I kind of love stories that are kind of meta. That so I give you know, I think the I think the um, I, I remember seeing uh, a film some time back um, which was kind of like um, speculating. What if the Nazis had won the Second World War and it gave you an alternative narrative as to what the world would be like and, and, and stuff like that? And just, I just love stuff like that. Oh yeah. Um, but you know, in, in terms of um, in terms of your, your non non World Worlds books, is it, um, you, you you did um, you know you, you did we was talking about shortly before the Wanger. Um, what what can you tell us about that? What what was the uh, genesis of, of of the idea? Um, you know, in terms of uh... Uh, it's, it's actually kind of a funny story how I came up with the Weller. The Weller. Uh, I was watching. I, I was washing dishes one day, and I had uh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome on TV, just as kind of background noise. And it got to the part where Max is walking into Barter Town, and he runs into the uh, the water merchant who's trying to sell radioactive water and that little scene kind of nagged at me for a little while and i got to when i write books my main purpose is to answer some kind of question and that's how my notes go if if i die and someone tries to finish one of my novels they're gonna be so confused because my notes are so incoherent they're mostly a string of questions and answers and and my question was how would people get clean water in a post-apocalyptic world how would they ensure that their water is clean who would have that job and what would that job be like? And so I set out to kind of answer that question. And what I wound up with was this, this really rough world weary anti-hero in a muscle car who just, you know, you know, trusts nobody and has to go to extreme measures to protect his cargo. And uh, originally it was just going to be a single standalone short story. And then uh, my dad absolutely loved it. And he, he begged me, just insisted, like, you've got to write more of these. And then, you know, I, I tried writing more short stories. And then, of course, the offer to write a novel came along. So I nixed the short story idea and just pulled all my ideas together. And it just sounds like um, I'm kind of, um, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to have to check that out, I think. You know, a bit of a post-apocalyptic, um, sort of like science fiction. It's, um, it's a genre we're seeing a lot of at the moment. Um, do, you, do you think... Um, is is that the song I could, is that the subgenre of science fiction you prefer the the post apocalyptic stuff? Um, I wouldn't say I prefer it. I mean, I just kind of got pulled into it because because of that one story that turned out to be so popular, and and people are are just demanding um, a sequel from me. Um, the the thing I'm the sci fi story that I'm really passionate about is my uh, my other novel Birthright, which is the uh, the first volume in a planned uh, trilogy, and it's about oh, it, it's got a little bit of everything. You know, you got the you know, you got the, the farm boy who's humanity's last hope. You've got uh, you know the the quirky alien sidekicks. You've got power armor. You've got killer robots. You've got a power hungry warlord. It's that book is really my love letter to science fiction. Yeah, it's, it sounds like it. I've just been reading the uh, the synopsis here about alien warmongers having cloned an ancient emperor. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the book opens with um, this this gray alien uh, who comes from a race called the Sainso, overseeing the excavation of Genghis Khan's tomb, and they they steal Genghis Khan's silver sarcophagus. 
And it leaves a reader wondering, well, what the hell are they going to do with that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, What I'm interested in knowing is what 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 prompted you to choose Genghis Khan? You know, there's you know any number of uh, of 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 of, um, emperors and dictators you could have you could have you know picked. (laughs) Well, really, if 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 aliens were going to clone an clone an Earth warlord to try and conquer the earth, probably the best bet they would have is somebody who damn near did it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and, and he came close. I mean, at least, you know, the known world of time, he came very close. Yeah. And, and, you know, and his, you know, Genghis Khan's uh, legacy extends even today. I mean, I believe it's 25% of the world's population is descended from him. He was, he was quite prolific. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, that's all I can... I remember watching that, um, it was kind of using a lot of creative license, obviously, but I remember quite enjoying that Netflix series, uh, Marco Polo, where, where he was um, in the court of Kublai He was Genghis Khan's grandson, I think. I think so. Yeah. Um, that, that was quite an enjoyable watch. Um, the first season, the second season, not so much. <laughs> but it was, sort of like, it was a very interesting uh, um, thing. Um, you've also done a done a short. You've done. You've got a short collection of poems and short fiction, which is a uh, called October Ballet. Um, is is that kind of like um, as near as anyone's gonna get to sort of maybe getting hold of some of your earlier work? Yep, that a lot of that is my uh, my earlier my earlier short fiction. A lot of my horror stuff. That's where you'd find it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lots of zombies. Uh, uh, some of my some of my haiku. That's really the only poetry I do. I've never really been been very good with poetry, but you know, haikus are okay. I mean, I can at least count to five and seven, so I can handle haiku. Yeah, I, I, I can do that. I mean, I'm trying to convert my poetry into lyrics at the moment because I'm um, I, I'm I'm a bit of a budding guitarist. Been playing for about six years. <laughs> So and so like um, so I'm trying to trying to sort of like capitalize on the fact that I now know 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 a few things on guitar that I can sort of like do, and I'm trying to capitalize on that and sort of like fuse my writing to 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 the guitar playing and see if we can sort of like come up with some lyrics and stuff at the moment, which is not a lot of fun. <laughs> I just can't seem to think of my poetry as musical because you know my poetry not not nothing necessarily always rhymes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I've, I've tried songwriting before. That's that's definitely not my area of expertise. Yeah, um, but you know, so it says in your blog that you're you're a bit of a guitarist yourself as well. Yeah, um, my son and I both started uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, unfortunately, my guitar player, uh, he owned a small music store nearby and he wound up uh, closing shop and uh, moving away. So I've been without a teacher for a while. Uh, My son has been playing with the school band for the past couple of years, but uh, I actually need to have a talk with one of his teachers because he was informed yesterday that they don't want him to play guitar anymore. They wanted to uh, they wanted to switch to bass, and he's he's not on board with that. He because mm. he's very proud of his guitar. He bought it with his own money, and it, it's his baby. Yeah, I wouldn't be on board with that either. I mean, song like anyone can play bass. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, <laughs> of course. Not not anyone can play bass, but it's song like um, if if you kind of if you kind of play rhythm guitar or you play lead guitar. Um, and that's what you feel safe and comfortable with, and that's what you should be doing. Right. You know. So you know, it's, it's one thing being being asked to do something, but you know, if you if, if if you're comfortable doing something and you're confident in that area, that's what you should be allowed to do, really. Right. Um. Another another thing. This is the last thing I kind of want to ask about is a uh, Oceanus Act One. Um. It's, it's a comic book. Um. Uh, yeah, Oceanus was a uh, media tie-in project that I was working on uh, a couple years ago that uh, uh, just kind of wound up moving on without me. Uh, I, I had a deal with them to write a novelization and that short story. Uh, and the short story was supposed to be a teaser for the longer film. The The comic book, uh, Act One, was <clears throat> a direct adaptation of their, uh, what was, I believe it was like a 30, 32-minute 
short film that was kind of a teaser for a for a longer feature length film that uh, still has not uh, come to fruition. And uh, my short story was supposed to give a <clears throat> a lead into that, and uh, everything I wrote is now non canon. But uh, but I, I did have a lot of fun with it, and of course I get to share a byline with Malcolm McDowell, which is yeah, I just noticed that <laughs> ra- ra- rather rather cool. Yeah, that's he cool. Uh, he provided a, a voice in the short film, and from what I understand, his role has been expanded in the the full length film. Um, you know, I I do wish the the filmmakers the best of luck on that because it really was a a really fantastic project, and I hope that it finally comes out. I'd love to see what the final product is. Uh, but from what I can tell, it's 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 evolved quite a bit since I originally signed on uh, to do the project. It'd be interesting to see that. I mean, it'd be interesting to see a lot of um, a lot of um, a lot of novels and and comic books are actually being being done right now. Um, eventually, make it to film because unfortunately, right now the the the, the movie theaters seem to be packed with um, franchise films and. Yeah. It's sort of like leaving little room for anything else. So a lot of independent films are, you know, are, you know, it's not a good idea is being passed up um, for the safe bet of a franchise film. Right. Which is and lot, of course, lots and lots of reboots. Yep. Um, too many reboots. Yeah. Um, one reboot I am excited about, though, I'm kind of excited to see the new Halloween movie that they're coming out with this year. It's going to completely retcon all of the movies after the first one. Mm. Um, so I'm kind of interested to see how they go with that. I've always been a fan of that series. I thought they'd already rebooted the uh, Halloween ones, or am I thinking about Friday the 13th? Uh, they, well, they rebooted both, actually, because um, <clears throat> Rob Zombie did uh, two Halloween movies, and uh, but now John Carpenter is is going back to the originals. Um, and then they, they, redid, they did a reboot of Final, uh, Friday the 13th, Back in 2009, I think, mm-hmm. and which I liked it, I really did. Um, and it had Jared Padalecki, and I'm a big Supernatural fan. So the only did. problem I had with it was the whole time I was waiting for Dean to show up and save, <laughs> <laughs> waiting for Jensen Ackles to show up, but he never does. Um, I really liked that that reboot, but apparently it wasn't well received, and uh, they were planning to reboot it again. Uh, sometime in the past couple of years, but I guess there's some lawsuit over the rights and production got halted. Mm-hmm. Supernatural fan myself. Uh, we're, we're just wrapping up the, uh, the last season that recently aired in the States. We're, we're coming towards the end of that now here in the UK. Um, yeah, I'm way behind on it. It's all on Netflix. I need to catch um, up on it. <clears throat> but, um, they, they did a fantastic episode uh, called Scooby Natural, where Scooby they Natural went into the world amazing. of Scooby-Doo. That was just funny. <laughs> oh, that was... That was so amazing. I I can't believe it took them that long to do that. Oh, it's it's just good. I mean, I I've enjoyed a lot of the fun episodes they've done. Where they, I think they did, you know, they did the they did the Christmas episode where they where they they were where where Sam and Dean were kidnapped by that um, you know nice old couple who turned out. Oh not, yes, not to be I remember nice that one. Couple. <laughs> And um, they also did the one with the um, with the classic Universal horror uh, versions of Dracula and Frankenstein and all that. And that, that was quite oh, that good. was that was a good one too. I love that. I'm I'm a big fan of the Universal Frankenstein movies. I love those. That, that's one of my along with listening to the War of the Worlds broadcast every Halloween. That's one of my traditions. Is I've got the uh, the Universal Frankenstein Legacy Collection, and I watch and I watch all those. Yeah, Ben Ngozi as Dracula and um, and um, Lon Chaney as a Wolfman, and you know, sort of like um, I I remember, you know, back back when I was in my late teens, uh, Channel Channel Four uh, would actually air those every Friday night. <laughs> so, oh, wow. so instead of instead of being the normal teenager that went out on a Friday night, I just stayed in and watched those films. <laughs> <laughs> See, and my big thing when I was a teenager, um, I've always been really big into uh, old time radio, and part of that started with um, with War of the Worlds. But uh, it actually went back a little further than, than War of the Worlds because uh, a couple years earlier, I found uh, a tape of Abbott and Costello that my dad had, and um, and that's one of the reasons why he sat me down and made me listen to War of the Worlds. He's like, "Well, if you like that kind of radio stuff, here, try this. This is a little different." And uh, my dad, when he was a kid, 
because uh, he's he's in his seventies, so he remembers some of the the later years of radio. He was really big into the, the westerns, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I couldn't get into those. He he tried to get me into those, but I um, I was always more into um, <clears throat> the Shadow, Green Hornet, uh, and then in the past few years, I've discovered the sci-fi series like X minus One, Dimension X, things like that. Um, and there was a there was a radio station when I was a kid, uh, when I was a teenager, that played those. Uh, I believe it was Sunday nights. They'd do a couple hours, and they'd play like Suspense and Box Thirteen and Stan Freeberg Show and things like that. And uh, I actually do a panel at uh, Demicon every year uh, with my friend Mitch Thompson, who does an amazing uh, Teddy Roosevelt cosplay. He's been doing that for a few years, and uh, it always gets funny looks because you know, of course. Uh, in War of the Worlds Goliath, Teddy Roosevelt's not the president. He's a former president, but his his uh, he's Secretary of War in in the film. So people will see Mitch in the hallways at conventions and say, Mr. President. And then I walk by and I salute him and I say, Mr. Secretary. And they're like, what the hell is that guy talking about? Uh, but uh, Mitch and I do this, uh, this panel every year. We've been doing it for, I think, four or five years now. Uh, where he'll bring in this antique radio and we've got a, a speaker hidden inside it and hooked up to my iPod and we'll play clips from radio shows and, and discuss them. Yeah, I, I think he's like, uh, like, like, like those as well, but I also like the old, sort of like, uh, the old Universal Studios uh, Flash Garden serials will bust the crap and, you know, the old Rocket, oh, yeah. King of the Rocket Man and stuff like that. Yeah, I actually found, uh, I found one of those on... See, I found this service on my PlayStation recently. I think it's called Tubi, T-U-B-I, uh, streaming service, kind of like Netflix and Hulu. Uh, and they've got a lot of really older, obscure sci-fi, like B-movies and things. And they actually have the complete run of Flash Gordon and the, uh, what is it, the, the, the Purple Death or something mm-hmm. like that. Yep. <clears throat> they've got the complete run of that. And uh, I actually really want to watch that now because uh, my parents had that on VHS when I was a kid, but the audio was really bad. The audio, the audio is really bad on most of them. Unfortunately, it's so, like it's just a, it's just signs of their age. I mean, I, uh, I remember getting up really early, early in the morning during the school holidays when I was a kid, just to watch those old Flash Gordon movie serials on 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 the old cathode ray tube, the old the old style <coughs> televisions, um, yeah. and um, you know the. The the audio seems to come through okay on those, but it was still it still wasn't a hundred percent clear sort of thing. And I just think it's a case of uh, technology's moved on so much now that the these old films and old series don't don't translate so well unless uh, unless someone can actually clean up the audio on them. And, yeah, I don't think it's really been profitable for anyone to do that. I mean. No, probably not. But one thing I was thinking just then was uh, you were talking about Green Hornet and uh, and the Shadow uh, radio plays and stuff like that. There's a company here in Great Britain called Big Finish who do a lot of Dot uh, Who audio dramas and stuff like that, uh, full cast audio. And I'm just wondering if the, if it if it'd be profitable for anyone to sort of like uh, maybe a few people come together, form a company, and do something of like. Uh, Modern reworkings of the Shadow and Green Hornet um, in audio. Oh, I would, I would be just... love to. Um, and you know, uh, I, I didn't think I would like. Have you seen the the Seth Rogen Green Hornet film that came out a few years ago? I've only seen it once, and um, I, you know, it's funny you should mention it because I was looking through uh, through through Sky Movies, uh, which can't kind of like HBO movies is over there. <laughs> And um, it's come up as one of the um, one one of the favourites, um, you know, fa- you know, returning favourites that they've gotten there. And sort of like I've been sort of like thinking, mm, should I should I give this another go? Because I watched it the first time. I remember thinking, yeah, it was all right. It wasn't as bad as they were making it out to be. Yeah, know, I I uh, <clears throat> I really didn't have any high hopes when they announced that Seth Rogen was going to be. I thought it was going to be a complete joke. And you know, and there are. There are some pretty groan-worthy moments in it, but honestly, it really wasn't a bad a bad movie. I mean, I, I could actually stand to watch a couple more of those. Um, but uh, The Shadow, um, I would love to do something with The Shadow. I would absolutely love to do uh, a Shadow novel. I'm not entirely sure who owns the, the rights to the character right now. But yeah, they're really, uh, aside from the IDW, or no, not IDW, it's uh, Dynamite Comics. Yeah, I read I a lot of that stuff. 
is, yeah. is doing uh, is doing a shadow series, or at least they were. Uh, and they were also doing um, the Spider, mm-hmm. kind of resurrecting some of those old those old pulps. And um, a lot of good Doc Savage stuff as well. Yeah, uh, I would I would love to do a shadow novel, or what I would also like to see. Uh, I mean, as much as I love the the '90s movie with Alec Baldwin, yeah. I'd really like to see like. Um, a television series of the shadow with it focuses more on his whole master of disguise thing. Cause that was the thing in the pulp novels, you know, he couldn't turn himself invisible. Um, you know, he, he could still, you know, do mind tricks and, and blend with the shadows and things. But his big thing was, he was an amazing, uh, makeup artist and he could disguise himself to look and, and sound like anybody. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I would love to see, uh, that done and, and not even so much necessarily as a period piece i would even be happy if they updated it like uh like the bbc uh, sherlock series with better to cumberbatch that would be something like that would be would be great do you know what you know what might work is um modern production values but so like uh, old-fashioned um old-fashioned narrative ideas um you know for example like these Flash Gordon things, the movie series, used to be about 25 minutes in length and it end on a cliffhanger. I think what they should do is maybe do a six-episode run of The Shadow, of a new story of The Shadow, um, make it episodic and have them in 25-minute song length episodes with a cliffhanger at the end of each one and see, see, see if that works. <laughs> oh, that'd be, that'd be fantastic. I would love that. Because Netflix I'm, needs to get on that. Netflix or Amazon or whoever. Yeah, yeah, they're doing doing a lot of good stuff. Um, it seems to me that Netflix and Amazon are kicking kicking their asses of um of of the of the main TV stations right now. Oh, they really are. Um, uh, like Stranger Things on Netflix, that is that is kicking ass and taking names. I absolutely love that series. That uh, I recently watched uh, Netflix's series Altered Carbon, mm-hmm. and uh, and I, I read the book uh, just recently too. Um. A few differences, but for the most part, rel- relatively faithful. Uh, I'd, I'd be interested to see to see more of those. I, I've only read the first book. There's at least, oh man, there's what I think at least three altered carbon books. Um, and the beauty of it, with the way that series works, they wouldn't necessarily have to have the same actor come back every season to play mm-hmm. to play uh, Kobach. They could get a different actor every time. Yeah, so I think uh, I think the premise of that was um, the, the 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 individual's consciousness could be transferred to a different body, and body right. was kind of like thought of as disposable. I only really seen the pilot episode, and I didn't really get much beyond that because so I like um, I got kind of a little bit too busy to so I'm gonna go back to it. Yeah. So um, although I do do hope to. <laughs> It's really good. I liked it. Um, another well, another one that's really good, and I need to get back into it, uh, is the the new Lost in Space. That was brilliant. Um, I I got maybe oh, what did I get into that? Like seven episodes, maybe, and then I got sidetracked by other things. Yeah, um, I um, I binge watched the entire entire thing over the course of a weekend, um, and you know it's what I plan to do next weekend with the uh, second season of. Um, of of that Marvel series, um, the um, Iron Fist. Oh, Iron Fist. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, plan, plan to give that uh, that another go, even though the the first season was kind of like the weakest of all the Marvel shows. Um, and I'm just looking forward to seeing how how, how they how they sort of like address some of these issues because um, I've I've read somewhere that I've actually bought the the fight choreographer in from the uh, from from the Creed movie to address the. Uh, the weakness in the uh, fight choreography in the, in the series, which you got Lampoon for in the first season, um, and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I, I could spend I could spend an eternity on Netflix if you let me. <laughs> oh, oh, same here. Um, but uh, Adam, is there any um, any other projects you got in in development that you'd like to sort of quickly touch on before we sort of like wrap up? Wrap up. Uh, well, right now I'm working on. Uh, the sequel to Weller, which is called The Weller Fear of the Dark. And, and it's it's going to be a full-length novel. It's not going to be another short story. Um, and I've got uh, I've got the opening chapters of that up on Patreon. People can can subscribe and get, get an advanced peek at the book. Cool. 
um, it's been been great having you on, and um, hopefully we can do this again. It's re- I found found talking to you really really fun and and, and oh, nice, absolutely. You know? Um, you know, sort of surprising how much you you know we we do actually have in common <laughs> in, t- in terms of the things we like. I mean, um, you're the first person I've met that actually liked the Shadow movie, other than me. Really, it, it's funny. I've I've actually heard some people refer to the the Shadow movie as the best Batman movie, and like that's kind of an odd way of putting it. It, it is. I mean, I've I've got a friend. Um, she co-hosts this show with me when we're doing um, the TV segments and stuff like that. Called called Raisa, and much like you, she loves the old radio uh, serials. Um, she she listens to them avidly in her spare time, and um, she she didn't like the Shadow movie. She she sort of like felt it, it was too much of a departure from 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 the um, from from the character in in, in radio shows and, and and stuff like that. So it was an odd blend of uh, of of the radio character and the pulp character. They they kind of they kind of fused them together uh I, I i think it worked for the time i mean it's it's very much a 90s movie I think. it is and it's also very much in a time when when superhero movies weren't really in vogue like they are now so yeah like it was, so it, it would have been it would have would have would have would have came out to a really hungry audience for it <laughs> yeah you know? um but yeah, again, thanks for being on the show. It's been great speaking with you, and um, my pleasure. The best of luck with uh, War of the Worlds, uh, Goliath, and your your other projects. And you know, if you if you have something coming out in the New Year, or you do get sort of like something um, going on 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 a sequel to War of the Worlds, and and what have you, feel free to contact us, and we can sort of have you back on the show again. And absolutely, you know, I'll, I'll I'll let you know. Okay. Well, well, thanks for your time, um, everybody. Um, Adam Whitnatch, um, writer of War of Worlds, Goliath, and uh, many, many other wonderful things. Thanks for being on, Adam. Thank you. Thank you.